Two Geeks and a Marketing Podcast, episode 24, the one about the four pillars of e-commerce, Clubhouse, Microphones and Rocky. Let's get on with the show. Welcome everybody to the first recording of Two Geeks and a Marketing Podcast in 2021. As always, we're here to keep you up to date with the latest news, tech, content and wisdom from the world of marketing. I'd like to introduce you to my co-host. He is a man on a mission to demystify digital marketing, the host of the Content Marketing Studio video podcast and many other video series. Here is Mr. Pascal Fintoni. Well, thank you so much much. Well, it is a pleasure to be back after a four-week break. I hope you're all doing well. But I'm joined, as ever, by my co-host, I'm on a mission to keep marketing simple, the voice of the Marketing Affairs podcast and the host of the Roger video series. I give you Monsieur Roger Edwards. Oh, Pascal, thank you so much. And it is great to be back. I think we needed that month off. I think we needed to recharge our batteries and uh, blow the cobwebs away from 2020, but I'm really up for it today. So shall we go straight into the first section? Let's go right into the news. And we begin with John Lewis, who recently scrapped overseas deliveries with the brand saying that the decision is part of their new strategy to focus on the UK market and not due to Brexit. LVMH, the luxury giant that owns Louis Vuitton, Dior and Verve Clico, has completed its acquisition of jewellery brand Tiffany for $15.8 billion. Wow, well, Mobile Network 3 has signed a two-year multi-million pound deal to sponsor Channel 4's Google Box. The partnership would also include social content on Channel 4's Facebook page. EE drops ads featuring Rita Ora after her lockdown breaches. Brands could make increasingly strict demands of celebrity ambassadors' conduct going forward, I think. Mm. Adobe stopped supporting Flash Player and even blocked content from running in Flash Player since the 12th of January. Users are also encouraged to uninstall Flash Player to help protect their systems. According to a report from TheInformation.com, Zoom is planning to enter the web, email and calendar space and become a real competitor to the likes of Google and Microsoft. General Motors' new logo is the biggest branding fail of 2021 so far, according to critics, but Burger King is faring much better with its new custom typeface and retro colours. Meghan Markle and Prince Harry have released their own podcast on Spotify called Archwell Audio. It uses the same name as their charity, which is also inspired by the name of their son, Archie. Well... All that news as we head straight into 2021. And I wanted to maybe have a look at that logo, the logos that were mentioned there, Pascal. General Motors' new logo, which has, as as you said, generated a lot of criticism, as opposed to the Burger King one, which seems to have gone down really well with everybody. Now, what I saw when I read the press release from the General Motors one was that sort of cringe-inducing moment where you have to read the reasons behind what they've done. Now, I think the new logo, okay, it's, it's a lowercase g, it's a lowercase m, but they've got a very pale blue 
background and apparently the brand descriptor of that is that it's looking forward to a carbon neutral future and that light blue sort of highlights a, a cleaner atmosphere now now that's a laudable aim but to me coming from a, a car manufacturing company in general it's it just seems to be a little bit i don't know hypocritical and maybe that's why people have chosen to target it whereas the burger king one they're just restylizing their logo to highlight the fact they sell burgers. Nice and simple. Yeah, and you know what's fascinating? On one hand, you've got General Motors trying to modernize the look and feel of their logo. And on the other, you've got Burger King who've gone for a retro style. Mm. And I think it's just fascinating to observe. Is it because actually Burger King sensed that let's bring a bit of nostalgia, let's bring a bit of a, um, warmth, actually, because this is actually a very warm logo, the new version, the first kind of reinvention of their brand after 20 years. And I think, because I was a bit surprised by the backlash as to, well, is it really that bad? And forgive me, Roger, but we're only in January. It can't be the biggest fail 2021. We're barely uh, a few weeks into the new year. <laughs> I was thinking, that's awfully harsh. But actually, the backlash is it's twofold, redeeming in the lines. Firstly, I wasn't aware of that, but General Motors is not that well established as a trusted brand. There's um, clearly a lot of issues around customer satisfaction and more, and this positioning in the automotive industry. And you're right, you know, they have plans to be a active participant in zero em emission and, and like a cleaner energy. But I think because of their kind of, um, you know, modeled history uh, and legacy, but also because the, the brand is such a departure from what they've done as opposed to being a refinement, that some of the critics saying, you will not know whether it's General Motors or a company selling cookies or, uh, frankly, uh, doing toothpaste. I think that was the kind of uh, harsh criticism. Yeah, I agree with what you're saying there. First of all, I guess that was a bit of a clickbaity headline, wasn't it? And <laughs> they'll be the they'll be the biggest brand failure of 2021 until the next one comes along. But interesting point you made about retro logos. I suppose I've never really thought of it this way before, but I guess design goes through the same sort of trends as clothes do and you know, this is what people will be wearing next summer. This was what people will be wearing next winter. It's almost as if branding goes through those same sort of um, phases. It's a bit like the icons we see on iPhones and Androids. You know, at one point they were almost three-dimensional. Then suddenly we went flat. No doubt in future we might go back to that more three-dimensional route. And, and maybe retro is the new, the new black, I guess. No, absolutely. And as, as I was listening to um, you and I reading the, the news, I was thinking to myself, this is really a strange set of news for a strange start of the year. You know, 2021 yeah. is, uh, you know, an odd start of the year. It hasn't got the same mood that we've had in previous years. And, and I'm very aware that, you know, we are talking to an audience, listeners and viewers who could you know, be having a bit of a tricky start of the year. So we're doing what we can to bring a bit of light entertainment and, and our reviews as well. But I just feel that this in the news section is always such a good barometer what's happening out there. So on one hand, you've got, you know, people having to to cut back. I mean, you've got literally Adobe getting rid of uh, this legacy of the Flash player. And then you've got some very, very strange um, news about Meghan Markle and Prince Harry launching their own podcast. It's just strange, don't you think? Yeah. And the, the one that really caught my attention this week was the Rita Ora debacle. Mm. Um, EE dropping Rita Ora for 
her lockdown breaches. Now, I have to say, Pascal, that I, I've been quite annoyed in the last few days. Uh, it takes a lot to get anno- me annoyed. <laughs> I, I'm, I'm relatively laid back most of the time. But, you know, we've been locked down, you and I, the rest of the UK population, for a long time now. And those lockdown um, parameters got tighter before Christmas, and they're even tighter now. And yet, day in, day out, I see on the news in newspaper websites and on things like Instagram, you know, XYZ person from Love Island or so-and-so from uh, TOWIE sitting on a beach in Barbados sipping champagne. And I'm thinking, uh, hold on a second, do these rules not apply to you? And, oh, well, influencers, I'm away, do, I'm, I'm away working hard. You know, well, does working, working hard is sitting on a beach in Dubai sipping champagne? And apparently I've just read just even today – that some of the companies that use these influences in inverted commas are actually telling them to stop posting pictures of themselves sitting on beaches in Dubai sipping champagne because it is upsetting people like me. Yeah, no, I don't think it's just you. I think it's just I can't be disconnected, you know, and creating a greater them and us. For me, what I take away as a lesson, particularly because of 2020 that we've all kind of lived through and endured, uh, brands making quicker decisions, but mm-hmm. perhaps in the past. So the, the decision from John Lewis to forego uh, the overseas deliveries, you know, the decision by EE to drop um, Rita Hora, which I would argue with you would have been maybe a decision that they have taken longer uh, to take, if at all, maybe a few years ago. Absolutely right. Yep. Yeah. I mean, let's face it, <laughs> quick decisions are what people are having to make these days. Apart from if you're a government, maybe, but let's not get into the politics side of it. But yeah, I absolutely (laughs) agree with you, Pascal. I think uh, we are going to see, you know, it could even be that some of the things we're talking about now will have changed before this episode actually goes live (laughs) in just just under 10 days time. Absolutely. Just to close very quickly uh, this new section, Roger, um, I did listen to the podcast from, um, you know, Meghan Markle and Prince Harry. And it's all right, actually. You know, I'm not sure what I was expecting, but forgive me, it's going to sound very strange to say, but it sounds like a real podcast, like a normal podcast. So they, they have guests, you know, they do the intros and the outros. They even have the num- first one, their son Archie, uh, saying a few words. And what I will say is um, good luck to them. I mean, as much as they're obviously a high-profile um, couple, I think they're, they're producing something that is, is interesting and good fun to listen to. And I'm actually going to go and listen to it now, Pascal, because I have to say, when I read the news item out, in my head I'm thinking, nah, I think I'll give that a miss. I'll give... But if you think it's good, I shall give it a try and we'll see what it's like. With that, shall we move on into our next section, the first content spotlights of 2021? In the content spotlight section, Pascal and I bring to the table a piece of content. It could be an article, a video, a blog, something that's caught our attention in the last few days. And we basically present it to each other and then discuss our reactions and thoughts. So, Pascal, what is your first content spotlight of the year? 
And it is very much the first because I went for quite an extensive digital detox during the Christmas and New Year holidays. So more recently, I went back to my go-to app, Flipboard. As you know, I use Flipboard to keep uh, the news coming my way. They, they use uh, good AI in terms of remembering what subject matter you find interesting. And I came across an article from this website, you know well, called entrepreneur.com. An article written by Jonathan Judley, who is the CEO of Ascend uh, Digital, sorry, and the, the title really intrigued me. Now, normally, if you recall, uh, in previous years, this is the the month of predictions. You know, people making big predictions about what's going to happen, and predictions have been actually very low key this year, which I think <laughs> says a lot about how common people are about making predictions. Back to your earlier point, but the title of this article is as follows: the four pillars of the new e-commerce frontier entrepreneurs need to embrace. So I'm a sucker for a title with a good number, four, talking about e-commerce, we're talking about entrepreneurs and embracing new technology. So again, great article to read. What I like about those kind of articles for me, Roger, they are a good reminder of the things that perhaps are buried into our memory bank. And also what they tend to do for me is give me a bit of a checklist for a conversation I can have with my customers. So just a great article. So the four pillars what um, is going to retransform the experience of consumers who want to visit and maybe engage with an e-commerce business. Number one, no surprise there, Roger, video marketing is taking center stage. And the argument by Jonathan is that it's not just that video uh, placed to the algorithm. It's actually very empowering for your customers to make a decision filled with confidence. You know, the, the, the data is there to say that when somebody is able to watch a video about your product or service, they feel more confident by making the decision to buy and tend to not delay, you know, that uh, call to action. So that's kind of interesting. So for me, the, the message that we've been, you and I, kind of sharing for the last few years, when you think about content, do think about video first. The second pillar is interesting. It talks about voice commerce. Voice commerce has become a defining force. And he's looking at two elements there. You've got smart speakers and mobile phones where you can obviously use voice search. But I think voice search has, made, has been overplayed and I, I wait for your reaction in a moment. I think where Jonathan is actually perhaps onto something is this idea of accessing apps that you can develop for yourself to allow people a voice experience just for you as opposed to a generic voice search on Google, Alexa, and a few others. So consider looking at off-the-shelf solutions for a voice-based app for your business. Is also saying that we're going to see the future of websites where people can navigate the website using voice as opposed to touching the screen and using navigation. So interesting one. Number three, He's talking about social shopping becoming mainstay. So this is about the integration of the shopping experience on social media where you will no longer have to leave Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, LinkedIn, and so on to buy anything. You will stay within the, the platform. So his call to action, and his recommendation is for all e-commerce website and e-commerce business owners, become curious about how you can integrate social media within your, your business, but be comfortable with the concept of somebody 
completing the whole of the the shopping experience by staying on Facebook as opposed to you know leaving Facebook to then go on your website. And finally, the fourth pillar is the rise of AR in e-commerce. And he's talking about a try before you buy culture where people can use AR by pointing their phone or by accessing other form of um, apps and, and kind of uh, gamification to really have an experience around, can I, would this sofa fit in my living room? Would this hair color suit me? Will this watch you know, be right for me? By simply pointing camera um, lenses in the right position. He's suggesting that we are two years away from having, again, off-the-shelf app for you to add AR to your e-commerce experience. So there you have it, the four pillars of the new e-commerce frontier from Jonathan Jadali, CEO of Ascend Agency. Yeah, lots of lots of stuff to dig into there, Pascal. Video, obviously, I agree. Uh, we've talked a lot about video on this podcast, and I love video, as you know. And, and of course, with your background, you love video too. Interesting about the voice thing. Mm. I've, do you know, I don't have a smart speaker. We don't have a smart speaker in our house. I, I, I just don't want one. I can't see the point in them, to be perfectly honest. Uh, my son has a smart speaker, and he said he used it for about a week doing the usual things like tell me what the weather's like outside and give me the news headlines. Now he uses it to play music on Spotify. So it literally is just a speaker. You don't need it to be smart. It just plays music. I don't know. I don't know. I, I can see a point for them. You know, over, for Christmas, for Christmas, I got a whole set of lights, which I was really quite looking forward to being able to use <laughs> here in my uh, studio to brighten things up a bit, maybe change the colours a little bit more often. And I just couldn't get them to work. Uh, and it, I ended up um, going backwards and forwards on the uh, customer service line with the company involved. And, and I just couldn't get the things to work. So I just package them back up and send them back to Amazon and that's the end of it. So I'm not sold on voice yet. No, and I think what is interesting about uh, his own kind of uh, paragraph in the article is has he has a very moderated view saying voice search has been something that's been bigged up and people have been mm -hmm. told, make sure your website content is adapted to voice search. His argument is, I think, is, is be more likely that you have uh, introduced voice as part of the service. So maybe there's an app that people can tap into and using uh, talking to the app to ask for a customer service help or to, uh, to repeat an order and so on is more likely to happen as opposed to be discovered uh, via Alexa or Google search because of uh, someone you know, using voice. Now, I, have, I think there's some truth in that. Sure, sure. And the other one was the not having to leave the apps. Now, that's very important because we know that a lot of these apps are penalizing people mm. for including links. So you, you might include a link in a LinkedIn post that gets somebody to click out and go and look at a video you might have produced or an article you might have produced. And we know that the LinkedIn algorithm punishes people who do that. So I think that the more we can build content that actually lives within the platform that we've posted it on, the less chance we've got of being penalized by the algorithm. And I, and I guess it's a better experience ultimately for the person who's consuming the concept the content because they don't have to dive out and go somewhere else and then actually then think about whether they should come back and either complete the transaction or make a comment about it or, or whatever it is. No, and you and I have reported a lot throughout 2020 about Facebook efforts to introduce that kind of uh, shopping 
uh, features you know and and literally saying if someone finds you on instagram they're going to stay and complete the purchase on instagram and i think it's back to that call to action you know for all our viewers and listeners if it's relevant to you just spend some time to research and and become familiar with what is possible nowadays yeah yeah so shall i tell you about mine please Okay, this is an article by Mark Ritson. I've brought Mark Ritson mm-hmm. to the table many times. He's a columnist in Marketing Week. And the title of this article is, Want a Job? Pretend You Believe in Digital Marketing. Whoa, now, immediately, right. immediately <laughs> you know by that title that it, there's going to be an element of tongue-in-cheek. I think this article is absolute genius. It made me laugh out loud A, because I actually agree with the sentiment, and B, because the examples that he uses in the article are absolutely true. But I do know that Mark Ritson is Marmite to a lot of people. Um, He spends a lot of his time disagreeing with Gary Vaynerchuk, which isn't necessarily a bad thing. Mm. But I know that a lot of people don't like his views. A lot of people think that he's just a washed-up university professor who doesn't understand digital marketing. But the, the, the preface is... He's saying that if you go for an interview today for a marketing job, and let's face it, as a result of what's been happening, there are a lot more people looking for marketing jobs than perhaps there are jobs um, in existence. And he says, these are the sort of questions you might get asked in a marketing interview. And for each of the questions, he gives the answer that you should give (laughs) and then the answer that you should give if you want the job. Now, as you would expect, the answer that you should give is what he says is the truth. And the answer that you should give if you want the job might actually be a lie or it might not be the reality. So a very quick example would be if you get asked in the interview, tell us what you think of AR in marketing. Now, he'll say that the the answer you should give is, I think AR is overrated, hasn't really um, caught on yet, and it'll be a good few years before it's even worth bothering with. But they'll then say the answer that you should give if you want the job is, oh, AR offers us the biggest opportunity us marketers has ever had, and we should invest as much time and effort into it as we can and become the market leaders in AR. You get where I'm going with this? Yeah. So each of the questions that he comes up with are effectively (laughs) couched like that. So he starts off, I'm only going to read two of them. Question number one, how did you, oh, sorry. Question number one, did you get here okay? The correct answer is, do you know what? Parking was murder around here, but I found the office, no problem after a while, thank you. But then he says the answer you should give if you want the job is, oh, I was using Google Maps, especially their new fabulous street view functionality. (laughs) Everything was so easy. I just love the intuitive way the code guides you to your location. I mean, it's just just beautiful the way he's, he's expressing that. You're just playing to the marketer. But I'm just going to read this one out. Doesn't it's not going to take long, and 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 it and it really strikes home. So the question you're going to get asked in your interview is, as you know, the role of senior marketing manager at Acme will require someone who can develop and then execute a digital marketing strategy. Is this something you have experience of? So this is the answer you should give. No, 
because I never develop a digital marketing strategy. I clearly have no idea what I'm doing. For starters, digital preface is inherently tactical in nature and execution. Don't get me wrong, I'm completely familiar with the various digital tactics and what they can and can't do. They add considerably to my tactical arsenal. But before I get to that stage in the planning process, I'm going to focus on a marketing strategy. And that does not need any digital prefix prefix. What it needs is clarity and choice on the key strategic questions that ACME faces. So specifically, who is ACME targeting? What is ACME's position to those targets? And an explicit focus on objection set, objective setting. Only then, only then would I be thinking about digital as part of my overall tactical approach. Now, of course, that shows that Mark Ritson doesn't believe that there's, a, there's such thing as a digital marketing strategy. It's marketing. And you do your strategy and then you use digital as part of your tactics. But he then goes on to say, this is actually the answer you should give if you want the job. Yes, of course. <laughs> I think a digital marketing strategy is at the core of every successful company these days. It's about being digital first. Marketing has changed more in the last five years than the previous 50. As a digital native, I see these changes firsthand, and I know the old approaches to marketing are dead, dead, dead. Do you hear me? Dead. <laughs> so a little bit tongue-in-cheek, Pascal, but actually there's a very strong message hidden in way in there yeah this is perfect in so many ways perfect to kind of kickstart the 2021 season of two gigs and marketing podcast with a bit of uh, you know uh, irony and, and humor i can only imagine that mark had a blast writing this article i can imagine him just chuckling away uh, with a glass of wine if that's what i eat favors you know as he's writing those things but also um as the expression goes you know many are true things have been said in jest i think it also is using the article to mirror back to to us the position of seniors and leaders about how they understand and do not understand the role of digital marketing and and you know this idea of give them the answer they want to hear and maybe once you're in change their perspectives absolutely and and to finish off the article the last question that he looks at is who is your marketing hero so the correct answer to that is the consumer i think we are a humble discipline. We serve the market and our role is to respect and learn from them rather than gurus and experts. The best place for marketers to learn from is the customer mm. and that makes them my heroes. But the answer you should give if you want the job is Gary Vaynerchuk. He's a visionary on so many marketing topics and also a personal inspiration. I remember him once saying, the biggest thing I can tell you is that you have to make as much content as possible Every day, every day, profound. So on that note, Pascal, perhaps we should move on to marketing, tech, and apps. In this section of the show, Pascal and I bring to the table our latest discoveries in the world of marketing, tech, and apps applications. One of my favorite sections of the show because I always learn something new. Pascal, what have you got for us this week? So Roger, this week I want to talk about audio production and particularly the kit, the microphones that we might need. Now you mentioned uh, one of the earlier segments that you and I are very fond of video production and video content, but ultimately we've had our hearts broken many times because of the audio, not the video. Would you agree? 
Mm, absolutely, <laughs> yeah. And and they do say, don't they, that if you're doing video, that people will forgive a slightly blurred image or a slightly less HD image. But if your sound is bad, then they are going to walk. So this year, my my guess, and this is a very very safe, you know, kind of a prediction, people continue to do content via video. They're going to perhaps start podcasting. There'd be many uh, meetings with customers and colleagues. There would be webinars. There would be virtual conferences, and your audio has to be good. It has to be friendly to your audience's ears. Uh, as Roger mentioned a moment ago, they'll forgive a grainy video. They will not forgive an audio that is just very taxing to the eardrums. So. I came across two very small yet very powerful microphones that would be perfect for a home studio. So if you're using a laptop moving forward, I highly recommend the Shure MV5 home studio microphone. That's its full name. So therefore, you know that it's for the home environment. Um, so I was actually talking to my brother Yannick a few weeks ago, usually conversation and talking about podcasting and, and music and so on. And as I was kind of talking, he said to me, oh, by the way, what do you think of uh, the sound? And I said, well, actually, it's pretty good. We were using, I think, Video Messenger at the time, Roger. He said, oh, I've got the new Shure MV5 um, home studio. And literally lifted this tiny microphone that's no bigger than maybe double the size of a golf ball. And the sound was exquisite, really, really good. So. If you're looking to purchase something new this year and you're more of a laptop user, do consider, do explore the specs and so on of this um, of this microphone that does a very good job as well to filter out some of the unwanted background noises. The second microphone I want to mention, Roger, is for mobile users. Now, this is not a newer, um, not as new, forgive me, as the Shure MV5, but you'll know of Rode, you know, the microphone uh, production company, and they have the video mic uh, me for smartphones. And this is a, uh, essentially a unit that you plug directly with uh, into the jack um, audio of your microphone and this directional um, microphone. So literally, so long as you're pointing towards you, it's tiny, be careful not to lose it, but it's very powerful. So again, if you're using a smartphone, the Rode Video Mic Me um, kind of microphone for smartphones could be a great little investment to just improve the sound quality, but also to be kinder, again, once again, to your audience's drones. I got a new Rode mic for my uh, video camera for Christmas. It's a, one of the directional ones that sits mm. on the top. And I got a free, and they, they call them dead cats, don't they? Which I don't particularly <laughs> like that terminology, given that I'm a cat lover. But basically, it's a fluffy mm. cat-looking thing that you put on your microphone. What I didn't realize is you have to take the foam uh, pop shield off first before you try to put the dead cat Fair on. Enough, yes. Because I was trying to stretch the dead cat over the top of the foam and it wouldn't fit but i digress so this week pascal i want to revisit if that's okay i want to revisit an app which i've talked about before on the show and that is the clubhouse app oh yes now apologies to people who don't use iphones and ios because this app is yet to be available beyond iOS, so it's not available on Android or anywhere else. Now, I did mention Clubhouse a few episodes before Christmas, and at the time, my impression from what I'd read was that Clubhouse was very similar to 
an app called Anchor, which was launched about four or five years ago, in that it was an audio version of Twitter, in that you posted, say, a minute of audio, and then people would be able to reply and create a whole string of replies to your original um, one minute. And one of the reasons that Anchor didn't really work and why they had to pivot to become a podcasting platform was because in the end, people just didn't have the time to listen to potentially 30 minutes of your original quote and then loads of quotes after it however i now have access to clubhouse Um, i think it's been available in the united states since about march 2020 it's only just started to roll out across the world but i got invited just before christmas and i really like the idea It is different. It's not really what I thought it was. Basically, what people do is they create a room and then people can go into that room and either just listen to what's being said or they can put their hand up virtually and be invited to become a speaker and interact in a conversation. So I guess you could almost say it's a bit like a a seminar room in a conference and you can go into that room and you can talk about anything as you would expect a lot of the rooms i've been into have got marketing people in them i've tried to do a few rooms myself and tried a few marketing topics i did i tried a speaker's topic as well the interface is gorgeous and it is a bit of a rabbit hole it's the sort of thing that you go into and you suddenly find that an hour's passed by so i think that ultimately it might uh, fall foul of that same problem that Anchor had, isn't that it just takes up too much of people's time? But I do like the the format. What I've decided though is that because it's been available across the world, well, in, in America for a long time, a lot of what I would call the usual suspects have all already claimed a stake. Mm-hmm. And therefore, you can go into these rooms with the titles you would expect, like how to create an eight-figure business in a week without doing any work, <laughs> how to become a world-class speaker without doing any speaking, that that sort of thing. And there is that really quite tedious um, element of self-promotion or I'm be- I can shout louder than you or I've got more followers than you. And, you know, I've really got no time for that. And the, the best use of Clubhouse that I've found is people creating smaller rooms with not a 500 people in, but six or seven and having genuine conversations about things outside of your own sphere of expertise so that you can learn new stuff rather than just getting onto the bandwagon and trying to shout louder than people in your own bubble. But I do have five, at the moment, invites that I can give out to people who have iPhones. So if anybody does want to check Clubhouse out and they aren't already in there, let us know and I shall send you an invitation. Second thing is, uh, this is an app that I came across a while back. Um, I did wonder whether I brought it to the table before, but I've gone back through the past episodes and I'm pretty sure I haven't. It's called LickD, but it's all one word. So L-I-C-K-D. Now, I did go looking for this a couple of days ago when I decided to do it, and I'd got it into my head that it was LinkD, and I just couldn't find it. And then I realized that I was searching for the wrong thing. But as a YouTuber and a video producer, I do some. I do like to use music in my videos. And 
for most of the time I use Epidemic Sound, which gives you copyright-free music created by musicians, but not famous musicians. What Licked D, or Licked, I don't know how you pronounce it, does, is allows you to license actual pop songs or actual songs by right. famous artists to use in your YouTube videos. So, and, and I'm not denigrating Epidemic Sound at all. I have to say there's some music on Epidemic Sound which I would gladly li listen to as if it was a, a shop-bought album or, or something I would listen to on, on Spotify. But if you want Turn It On Again by Genesis or if you want I Will Survive or if you want a, a really famous song in your YouTube video, then Link, Lick D will allow you to um, license that song for your video and you won't get a copyright strike. Now, having been through it and getting quite excited about it, I actually did come to the conclusion, do you know what? I'm going to actually stick with Epidemic Sound because A, I like the music on there and B, I want to give an opportunity to the people who are producing music for Epidemic Sound. But if you do want commercially available stuff, you can now get it. Do you know, this last one... Actually, it's a great solution from when you and I get um, requests from our lovely customers who said, oh, I'd love to start our virtual conference with uh, I Will Survive. And we have to explain to them that there is a small matter of the copyright claim issues. And, and I wonder whether that could be a, a, a way to, to say to them, well, let, let's look into it uh, in more details. Uh, did you have a chance to look at the fee structure? And is it particularly expensive? It, it works in a similar way to Epidemic Sound is in that you pay a monthly amount wow. uh, or you can pay per track. Uh, I can't remember exactly how. Some of them are as cheap as a dollar. Uh, some of them are more expensive, like $10. Um, and you can either license the whole song or a snippet of it. So it's quite flexible. Super. And with regard to Clubhouse, I hope you don't mind, but uh, on behalf of our viewers and listeners, I might ask you to come back maybe the next two or three months with a uh, in-depth debrief about the, the platform. I am an Android phone user, so I need to be, be more patient. But I, I've heard good things, and, 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 and I'm sure that the, the app and the features will improve over time. I mean, for me, the question that I have, to which you may, may not have the answer yet, is can you record those sessions? Is there a way, of course, to repurpose you know, those conversations? Conversations. It's interesting because I was actually doing a session earlier on today and a lady came into the room at the end and asked a question and we said, oh, we answered that 30 minutes ago. And, and I did say, wouldn't it be great if we could actually say, here's a recording of the session, but it's part of the terms and conditions of Clubhouse that there's absolutely no recording whatsoever. Oh, right. And even if you try to record the audio on another app within your phone, they've got some way of knowing. So it comes up with a great big red bar at the top saying you can't do this and they okay. are saying that they will be very strict and actually uh, kick people out if they break the rules right well let, let's keep you know the, the, that watching brief um, going i think for me it's another kind of indication of that audio marketing revolution that um, started probably in 2019 kind of you know was really put forward in 2020 and um, i think we're going to see more and more solutions coming to the market 
I absolutely agree, Pascal. So, shall we get out the DeLorean, get out the time machine, set the controls of the TARDIS for a few years in the past, and have a look at this week in history? And in 1879, a British garrison of 150 holds off three to 4,000 Zulu warriors at the Battle of Rourke's Drift. 11 Victoria Crosses and a number of other decorations were awarded to the defenders. In 1949, 10 million people watched the first ever televised inaugural parade for Harry Truman. It was also the first openly integrated inauguration with minorities welcome to attend. In 1950, acclaimed author George Orwell, perhaps best remembered for Animal Farm and 1984, dies after a three-year battle against tuberculosis. In 1971, Alias Smith & Jones premieres on ABC TV. This popular Western series was modelled on the 1969 film Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid, starring Paul Newman and Robert Redford. In 1976, generating a sonic boom as it travelled through the atmosphere at supersonic speed, the Concorde began regular service from London and Paris. In 1981, Ronald Reagan the actor, is inaugurated as the 40th President of the United States of America and will serve from 1981 to 1989. And in 1983, Apple Computer introduces the Lisa. Steve Jobs initially claimed Lisa stood for local integrated system architecture, though later he admitted it was named for his daughter, Lisa Nicole Brennan. In 2008, Black Monday in worldwide stock markets happened. The FTSE 100 had its biggest ever day, sorry, had its biggest ever one day points fall. European stocks closed with their worst results since 9-11 and Asia stocks drop as much as 15%. Well, the same year, 2008, Breaking Bad, created by Vince Gilligan and starring Brian Cranston and Aaron Paul premieres on AMC. The show will last five seasons with a total of 62 episodes. Alias Smith & Jones. A lot of people will probably think they've heard of that series, but they'll be thinking of Alas Smith & mm -hmm. Jones, which was the comedy show with, um, with Mel Smith, wasn't it? I remember vaguely watching Alias Smith & Jones when I was, I mean, if it was out in 1971, I was only about five. Um, Hannibal Hayes and Kid Curry, they, that, they, those were the two characters. And they were notorious because even though they'd robbed loads of banks and lots of stagecoaches, they'd never shot any. Anyone. Um, and I'm pretty sure that after the first series, the one of the lead actors was was sadly died in uh, of a heart attack or was killed in an accident. I can't remember. And the second series, it was a new actor. And then of course, in those days, apart from Doctor Who, recasting an, a, a role in a film or a series didn't happen that often. And all of a sudden, it's, why is why is Kid Curry look so different, or why is ha Hannibal Hayes look? so different but i remember it was like a comedy western uh, i've never ever thought about it until this news item came up but i do have vague memories of it yeah likewise obviously it was dubbed in french where we were uh, uh living back in near bordeaux and it was also playing on french tv alongside the um wild wild west 
the actual t- TV series. But I remember enjoying, yeah, the tongue-in-cheek dialogues and, and, and all kinds of things. They were kind of lo- lovable rogues, really. Um, and you can see the influence, of course, of the uh, Butch Cassidy and Sundance Kid, because if you watch the film, the, the, the dialogues are, are, are exquisite. But again, you're looking at, you know, this week in history, the power of moving images and television. You know, this is kind of the theme coming through there. And, and I have a confession to make to you and to our lovely audience, Roger. I have never seen Breaking Bad. Oh, <laughs> yeah. I, 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 I liked it. Thought it was good. Perhaps didn't think it was just overly as good as as a lot of people made out. Uh, I, I thought, you know, as I say, it it was five seasons and uh, it took a long time in my mind to get going. But it, it was pretty compulsive viewing. And yeah, the the when when I was going through um, because Pascal and I um, alternate each week who who puts the um, news items together and on obviously researching the week with the twentieth of January in it means that pretty much every news item was related to one president or other <laughs> during so it pretty much every news item could have been related to one uh, one president uh, interesting that Ronald Reagan came up that was the one I chose because of his link to to film and TV but the, the other one that drew my attention was the Apple computer introducing the Lisa. A little anecdote from my early career. I was working for an investment company and they wanted to introduce a saving scheme. Um, This was in the uh, mid-1990s and they wanted to call it the Lisa as well. And it was going to stand for Life Insurance LI, Life Insurance Savings Account. Uh, But that never happened either. (laughs) No, it's kind of tricky, you know, all those acronyms because um, sometimes, which is why I love this section, you they become part of of uh, the, the language, and you have no memory of what it stands for. And and indeed, a lot of the time, those acronyms make uh, their way into um, television um, game shows. So through obviously the, the the production of Two Geeks and Marketing podcast, I'm getting quite good now at doing quizzes online and via television. Absolutely right. Absolutely right. You know what I'm like with acronyms. Sometimes they wind me up quite a lot, um, but sometimes they're quite fun as well. Am I right in remembering that, um, and I could be completely wrong there, but didn't George Orwell have a link with um, War of the Worlds? I'm trying to think as, as to whether he did, Pascal. I, I must admit, when I read this news item, I was surprised that he died in 1950. I was convinced that he'd actually survived until 1984 to actually see what 1984 was like. Mm. Um, I, I'm not sure whether there was any link to to War of the Worlds. I must misremember, or you know, something that we mentioned perhaps in a previous episode in uh, This Week in History. But in terms of 1984, I have a few friends who have read the book again recently who said to me, oh my goodness, it's pretty close to the bone in terms of some of the, uh, I wouldn't say prediction, but some of the storytelling and some of the elements of what happens to the main characters in, in the book in terms of the the times we live in, particularly in terms of the pandemic and and the restrictions at this moment in time. And some of the lies that are being told (laughs) by by governments and uh, politicians. So, yeah, some fabulous, fabulous uh, trips down memory lane there once again, Pascal. Shall we move on to our next section, which is the creator shout-outs? 
in the creator shout out section of the show pascal and i shout out our favorite creators these could be people from our immediate network or slightly beyond with the occasional famous person thrown in for good measure so pascal who is in your spotlight this week well, actually, I want to give a shout out to the team behind an online magazine called The Podcast Magazine. You could find it on thepodcastmagazine.com. Now, the reason why I wanted to bring it up to your attention, that of our listeners and viewers, is because I was reminded of this magazine. I kind of came across I came across information some time ago, but uh, our very good friend Mark Asquith, behind Captivate.fm and also the host of the Spark of Rebellion Star Wars podcast uh, was a guest, was interviewed on podcastmagazine.com and suddenly it all came to the fore. So quick shout out to the founder and editor-in-chief Steve Olsher for creating a outstanding bit of work. I mean this is kind of lessons in content marketing as well as how to, to, to do things and Roger it is a real magazine. This is not like a strange ebook from a word documents to one it's beautiful they use great photography great typography i've got the january 2021 copy this is 124 pages of delightful content about everything you need to know about podcasting it's really well structured you would expect that from obviously um keen podcasters 19 podcast categories are explored from arts to government to tv and films and comedy and science and they have some lovely segments one called beyond the microphone where they chat with podcasters where you can learn obviously from the trial and tribulations they have a segment called under the radar where they give you some ideas of new podcasts we listen to that are perhaps less lesser known uh, every month they do something called off the charts where they give uh, rankings to again lesser known podcasts it's just great roger to read about a, a practice and occupation that sometimes can feel a bit lonely yeah you, you get on with your podcast production you produce a podcast you share a podcast and so on and i have to say i've thoroughly enjoyed reading so you've got two versions you can download the, the pdf uh, and you can also download um, the app. In terms of uh, Mark Asquith, very quickly, he's interviewed over Stace Father magazine, and you'll find his interview on page 66 of the podcastmagazine.com. Now, you know what I'm going to say. Mark Asquith, the co-host of the Star Wars uh, podcast, Spark of Rebellion, interviewed and is on page 66, which makes me think of Order 66. And I'm wondering whether this is part of his contract, where whenever Mark is interviewed, his uh, interview has to be featured on page 66 of any magazines. But here you go, podcastmagazine.com. The editor-in-chief is Steve Olsher. So that isn't printed. No, it's a digital. A no. It's a digital yeah. and it's beautiful. Yeah, I, I have to say when you started talking about that, my initial impression was that you could buy a printed copy because I've just, obviously just coming out from Christmas, I've got a few printed books that I've been reading and it's so nice sometimes to hold a printed mm. copy of something in your hand. My shout out this week, Pascal, is for a gentleman called Dave Burse. Now, Dave is a speaker and trainer and I first met him in North Macedonia two weeks ago. We were both two years ago believe it or not. We were both speaking at the same conference. Now, as you would expect for somebody who is predominantly a speaker and trainer, and a bit like you and I, Dave lost a massive amount of 
booked business when the pandemic hit last February and pretty much wiped his entire first six months of his calendar out. Like a, like all of us, he's he's had to change his business model and he's pivoted, to use that uh, cliched word. But what he's done, and which I want to shout out today, is a really nice piece of research. And you're going to have to give up your email address for this, but believe me, it is worth it. If you're a speaker or an online trainer or you you do webinars or you do any sort of educational content, he's done some research with quite a number of speakers to get their attitudes and their feedback and their reactions to the way the world has changed since COVID and where they think things will go over the next year, over the next two years. And it, it, it's only about 20 pages long, Pascal, but and, and it's a digital it's a digital PDF like like uh, you've described the, the podcast magazine but he's put it together beautifully so it's it's well illustrated I like the way he's used quotations and he's put tables in it and data and this that and the other and quite a lot of insights in there you know from people who've decided no I'm not going to pivot I'm not going to change I'm going to sit this out and hope things go back to normal to those people who have utterly changed everything and invested hundreds of thousands of pounds in very flashy cameras and studio equipment and this that and the other so if you do any form of presentation you you really do want to have a look at this ebook i guess you would call it by dave burst really worth giving that email away just to get your hands on this piece of content. Thank you very much, Roger. You know what's interesting? We don't talk to each other before the sessions because we want to give the element of surprise. But every single time, there's that convergence, you know, because we've both chosen content and content efforts uh, which have been beautifully designed and where there's a, a mountain of efforts, you know, behind the scenes. And it's just fascinating. And I think it's probably a hint about uh, the way things are changing in the world of content marketing as well. Yeah, I absolutely agree. So great shout outs again. Great shout outs again. Do please visit and support these people. We will always include the link either in my case to the to the LinkedIn post, which is where you can download this from, or as Pascal has given the actual website for the podcast magazine. So Pascal, our first film of 2021. Shall we get into film marketing? Just can't wait. 45 years ago today, audiences were introduced for the first time to Rocky Balboa, an underdog fighter from Philadelphia who became the iconic character of one of the longest film franchises. Yep, today we're going to talk about Rocky, Pascal. And what a choice, Roger. Well done indeed. It feels almost right that, as we mentioned a moment ago, this is a very strange start of the year and the year is going to become, uh, it's going to remain demanding and, and, and trying for people. Let's talk about, you know, Rocky Balboa and how we all need to fight our way through what's left of the pandemic and more. And yeah, I mean, let's face it, the, the Rocky series, as you say, one of the longest film franchises, most of the films are extremely uplifting. Most of them have a sequence in there, don't they, where it, 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 there's training and there's there's overcoming obstacles, often accompanied by a, a very, very famous piece of rock music. And uh, and yeah, they are, they are always films that make you feel uplifted and, and powerful and, and you, I can get through this. So a very, very good start. And do you know what? This 
created a memory in my head, which I, when we were talking the other day about what film to do, I, I'd sort of forgotten about this. And then the memory came flooding back. And mm. um, my father, my father was a massive, massive boxing fan, massive boxing fan. Now, he was a general practitioner on the seafront in Blackpool in the 50s, 60s and 70s. And as a result of that, he used to interact with quite a lot of celebrities who were either doing shows on the piers in Blackpool or they were appearing at the Winter Gardens in Blackpool. And he'll tell stories about Bruce Forsyth and Roy Chubby Brown and this, that and the other. But he was also associated with the boxing matches that used to happen in the Winter Gardens. And he was frequently rubbing shoulders with the likes of Brian London, who was a very famous UK boxer from the, from the 60s and 70s, and Cassius Clay, who went on, of course, to become Muhammad Ali. So because he was such a massive boxing fan, Rocky was one of those films from my childhood that I remember probably more than anything after Star Wars. And, and of course, Rocky came out in the UK in the same year as Star Wars in 1977 yeah. I think I think I think it came out earlier in the states and Rocky was also one of the first films probably was the first film we ever got on VHS tape when it first came in so just talking about Rocky ignited some memories within me that I actually haven't thought about for decades and what is interesting uh the very first time i saw rocky the very first um kind of you could say episode or, or film was with my dad indeed um but i was introduced to rocky where he, i became aware if you like of the brand and and the character um with rocky three so i kind of um you know was rocky three uh I, the tiger you know fighting what well, the, the people i knew uh the the character that i knew as mr t from the from the a team then i backtracked and i watched the first one with, with my dad and I will say that it took quite a few viewing to for me to really get into it. But from the first moment that I saw Rocky, I just knew it was beautifully filmed. What I didn't know is that really, sorry, Roger, by all accounts, it was a low budget film. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I mean, it doesn't look or feel low budget, does it? No, it doesn't. So, and what is, what is interesting about Rocky is very difficult now to distinguish between Rocky and Rocky Balboa and the story, but also the story of Sylvester Stallone. It is mm. now well documented, and he shared that information during many interviews where he wrote the script in three and a half days after essentially lying to the producers that he had a script ready. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I mean that's that's winging it, isn't it? That's winging it, but actually producing an item of genius. I do remember another enduring memory of watching this film because we watched it so many times because my father was so into the film and loved boxing. But I do remember my mum criticising it for being what she would describe as a mumbly film because she felt that Rocky Balboa was mumbling all the time. I didn't really talk properly, and I'm going to kiss you. Adrian and all of that sort of thing. I don't really remember that myself, but uh, yeah, I mean, it, it just goes to show we, this comes up on the show quite a lot, doesn't it, Pascal, when we're talking about films, that there'll be somebody like Stallone who wanted to produce something because they had a vision and they perhaps hurdles were put in front of them by film uh, companies 
and it could have been quite easy for him to have rolled over and said, you know what, go and get a proper script writer to write it or rewrite it. But he stuck to his guns. And and as a result of that, here we are. Yeah, and and th- that's why, in a way, for for me, Rocky is both the film, but it's also the creator, you know, Sylvester Stallone. And it's hard sometimes to uh, you know dissociate the two because what I'm going to talk about is both you know his endeavors as a content creator, but also the film itself and how it, it was successful. I mean, let's not forget that this is a guy that basically told a lie. So he had a script, he didn't. He wrote it in three and a half days. Yes, there was, um, I think, a to nine to ten rewrites but ultimately the, his first script was accepted he then negotiated to star in a film he was a nobody uh, he was not known i think he made one short film um in in new york and then that, that was it to the point where the production company half the budget to essentially uh, limit the the losses it, they wanted burt reynolds they wanted james khan to play the, the role of rocky balboa can you imagine i mean that's just that's just you know nowadays uh, that that wouldn't work um but of course as you mentioned a moment ago for me the, the reason why i love watching rocky uh, several times is is beautifully filmed so you can learn lessons about cinematography but we must mention the music track from tom conti gonna fly now right i mean like i said before every rocky film has its signature theme tune and it's always uplifting and it's always you you, you know even if you created a playlist of tracks from rocky films you would have half an hour to 45 minutes of truly uplifting stuff and and this was this was the background to the whole thing wasn't it this track and and, and again it, it's it, it's one of those enduring and we were talking about a film that was made 40 odd years ago here um you know this is probably one of the earliest films that we've reviewed um and yet I, yeah. we're still talking about the music and the cinematography from a film which is you know getting on towards 50 years old now i mean that film you know, was uh, the the film the started filming in January nineteen seventy six. I mean, why wouldn't why wouldn't you choose the winter, one of the coldest months of the year to film? But that's a territory of love, uh, film production. This is when sometimes the kit, the people, the crews, and cast are available because there's not much going on, and they filmed it in twenty eight days. Yes. This is unthinkable nowadays. No one would would, would uh, take. Uh, it would take. It would be twenty eight months to make a film, not twenty eight days. And it was so low budget that sometimes they had to borrow clothes from people. They had to ask <laughs> friends and family in true indie filmmaking style to uh, be extras and to carry uh, the, the, do catering and so on. Um, I think Silver um, Susan said you had to use his own dog uh, for the film. I mean, it's just you know uh, great from that point of view. Uh, and of course, he was able, as in a first-time filmmaker, to create a character that we still we still talk about decades later, that has created a franchise. But now you have hordes of tourists running up the steps of uh, Philadelphia Museum, yeah. where they do obviously the the, the most famous uh, raising your arms on top of the steps and obviously getting selfies with a statue. And and of course, it it's now considered to be one of the greatest sports films of all time. Um, uh, you know, ranked second behind Raging Bull, I guess. But at the time, the critics basically said, nah, this is a poorly directed, heavy-handed fairy tale with pretty poor acting and pretty <laughs> poor direction. So just goes to show, again, vision can absolutely triumph mm. against 
the odds. And when you think about, therefore, the story of Stallone as a creator, so you know, we begin by he was literally uh, broke and he lied mm. and, he, and he kind of, uh, maybe there's a lesson in that, which is when you've got nowhere else to go, just go for it. And then, I don't know, a year, uh, year and a half later, he's at the Oscars having to basically receive three Oscars from 10 nominations. That yeah. must just blow your mind. I mean, even then, he said you know, he didn't have the money, so he had to borrow a tux from a friend. But um, <laughs> I'm sure now uh, things are very, very different. I would like to also mention the, the other cast, if you don't mind, Roger, because we of must, course. of course, uh, talk about Carl Withers, who plays Apollo Creed superbly. And and it was the, in, the, in the first four, um, the um, lady, you know, the, the princess, if you want to use a fairy tale analogy, um, Adrian, yep. played by Talia Shire, Bert Young, and of course, Burgess Meredith, who plays Mickey from, uh, you know, his trainer. And the those who do appreciate the film, not those who still would criticize it, say these became characters that we really, really became attached to. Yeah, absolutely right. I mean, uh, one of the, the things I always remember again about Rocky is that he didn't win at the end of the film. <laughs> you know, you know he was going to be put up against Apollo Creed. And, you know, a lot of movies would have just, no, no, this is this is the underdog wins against the champion. And that would have been the, the end of the film, you know, Rocky knocking out Apollo Creed. But that didn't happen. But it was still a massive achievement that Rocky had got into the ring with Apollo Creed. But as the films developed, as you said, the characters developed. You know, Rocky and Apollo Creed fought again. And then uh, I think um, Apollo ended up being his trainer later on. And then, of course, unfortunately died. Um, Adrian's journey was was an interesting one. The relationship with his brother, Paulie. And, and Burgess Meredith, you know, again... Uh, his Rocky's original trainer, who again sadly dies in one of the films, and I remember being very upset <laughs> yes, <that's right>. uh, <laughs> about that. Mm. Uh, so the fact that he wrote this script and fleshed out these characters in such a short period of time is truly amazing. And I think that shows his talent as a screenwriter, which has mm. been recognised much, much later. And I know that the character has been mocked and sometimes used as part of parody, including Rambo and all the others, but ultimately there's not many uh, people out there that you could say have uh, introduced iconic characters that people uh, still use. And, and I would imagine that for most, most people that are, that are interested in boxing, it's a good film, durable film to watch. And I'd imagine that for most, um, you know, trainers out there who have, you know, run a gym, to every so often put that song from Tom Conti uh, just gets people, you know, trying a bit harder when they're on the, you know, on, on the machines or something. Yeah, and of course, as a, as a film, film <laughs> producer yourself, I think you would agree with this, but the sound is particularly important within Rocky films as well. You know, the sound of the punches mm. is obviously enhanced. Uh, they probably used punching sound effects or at least added to the reverb or the echo or the bass or something to make them sound more powerful. But, you know, if you turn the sound up, not only do you get those great rock songs, but you also get those amazing, powerful special effects, which, you know, really feel it you really feel it it's an experience 
So, Pascal, what are marketing lessons from Rocky? Because we could go on talking about what a great film it is all afternoon, but what are the marketing lessons? This is difficult because I can't, again, uh, split uh, Sylvester Stallone and, and Rocky. I can't tell whether I'm going to give you content creators lessons or marketing lessons. But just mm. to pick on what you've said a moment ago is about believing um, in yourself. I mean, we now know this, the full story, which is that Stallone was offered, you know, 300000 thousand dollars to sell the script and literally walk away from from, from the lot um it, and he didn't uh, even actually uh, argued for him to star and actually um, get the position where the budget was halved and so on but he was so determined to make the film in his own terms and that um, he was prepared to actually walk away from it so maybe uh, as we mentioned a couple of times before those lessons are all about if you have that strong strong feeling that the particular course of action you're taking as a content creator is the right one and all those around you are not so sure just just keep going now you, you you might go somewhere that's going to really really surprise you i think that's so important and and again the lesson for me sort of adding on to that is this whole idea of being yourself mm. you know his story was one of determination and the underdog going the distance becoming somebody but you know if you're a, if you're a content creator now and you maybe feel as if you know i can't compete against mr beast or or peter mckinnon on youtube or whoever it is because they've got millions of followers and i've only got 15 or whatever it might be your your, your natural inclination i need to p copy peter mckinnon or i need to copy mr beast but just imagine how rocky would have turned out if he'd given in and let Burt Reynolds take the the role, you know, it probably would have been a disaster. It might it might have it might have been a one hit. That's it, one a one hit, hit, yeah, yeah. But I don't think it would have had that longevity that Stallone brought to it. So if you are feeling as if it's not worth trying to pin this to your own personality and your own determination, you know, use Rocky as a template and actually say, I don't need to be like everybody else i need to be like myself and it'll take a lot of hard work and determination but it might well just become something that endures and i think uh, just to kind of run a parallel to that another lesson could be around the storytelling so when people are thinking of a um, case study or even if you're having a, an interview style content with somebody else to tell the story where it was difficult and it was hard yes. and actually was full of misgivings and doubts. I mean, the, the, there's a lovely scene, you know, during uh, the night before the fight where um, Rocky Balboa c confesses to Adrian that he's doubting himself. And, and you've got all those things. That's what makes the story engaging. And that's what makes character very endearing, where they, they, they're not always entirely confident or they don't always have the answers. I think that's that is so important. And again... I feel that the world we're in at the moment, especially with, you know, politicians and, and, and there's a lot of blame game going on in the world at the moment. And, and I don't think there's anything wrong in admitting that you're feeling a little bit frightened or a little bit insecure or even that you may have made a mistake or you might have got something wrong because I think people are more attracted to fallibility and they have more empathy with people who are successful but have also made mistakes on the way and and I and I think that this is another film that like you've said that scene that you've just described it is one of extreme vulnerability and there's nothing wrong with that 
I think. Mm, uh, for me, the final perhaps lesson we can take away, there's one which I thought about location, but much harder one to sell at this moment in time, Roger. So maybe I'll move on to not being afraid to revisit and expand on the story. So we now know that if you include um, Creed and Creed 2, that this is actually quite a long franchise, but one where, again, as, as you pointed out a moment ago, let's revisit this character, let's revisit this challenge, or let's revisit you know how they would... Uh, um, behave or deal with a new challenge and and sometime if, if there is a story or a, an angle that's working for you don't rush into changing and bring something completely new let the audience explore things uh, in more in depth with you i absolutely agree pascal Every time we have a conversation about a film on this podcast, I usually go away and end up watching the film again. This time, I'm going to be able to go away and watch the film, but I can guarantee I'm going to be getting my Spotify out and I'm going to be creating a playlist of Rocky rock tracks which will probably be pounding out through the house over the course of the next few days pascal thank you for being on the show with me again it's great to be back isn't it the two of us here talking about what we love the most in the world of marketing and thank you to you as well for listening to the show thank you for the feedback you've given us on the socials thank you for the feedback you've given us in person and on the youtube channel we really do appreciate you taking the time to listening and feeding back so thanks for watching if you're listening thanks for listening please subscribe either to the podcast itself or to the youtube version in all the usual places until next time go out there and make sure that your marketing is done right i was roger edwards and he was pascal fintoni mm-hmm.